Hey, welcome to Horizon. Horizon is a group of young adults in the Bernie and San Antonio area. We are a ministry of 1910 Church, and my name is Danny Phillips. I'm the next-gen pastor here. And today with me again, again, otra vez, is Jordan and Ezra. What's up? And we're so glad. Are you guys doing okay today? Yeah. Yeah, so if you haven't read Acts 10 and 11, it's, it's, a, it's in narrative form. It's a quick action pack. So press pause right now if you haven't read 10 and 11 or listen to it and then come back and jump on this with us. But um, what you're seeing as we go into 10 and 11, you're going to get the, the narrative. You're going to get the story. And then in chapter 11, you're going to have uh, this... Uh, Peter being confronted by his his friends and brothers and go, what's happening? And then we have a flashback to all the things that we just looked at. So it's kind of a, a back-to-back story where it feels like it's a repeat because it is, but just in shorter form in 11. But there's a reason. I believe there's a reason for that that, uh, that has great impact. But here's what's happening. Peter who Jesus has made some declarative statements about the things that Peter will do, what he'll be about. We see this spread of gospel movement through Philip in Samaria. We see it uh, heading down to Africa by way of an Ethiopian eunuch, all of which takes place through the life of Philip. And then, but, but something's happening with Peter. Something mm. drastic is going to happen with Peter um, and a man named Cornelius. So Cornelius is a Roman military officer. What do we know about Rome that's taken place and has for some time now within Judea and and this whole uh, kind of ancient Near East area? What, what's happening? Who is Rome? Why is it important? They're the powerful nation in this time and era. Okay, They're go, the ones go that one are... step above nation. We'd go empire, right? Okay. Right? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. Uh-huh. So they, um, so I've heard it described this way. So the Greeks were the the empire. They were the the big cat um, before Rome, and it said that Greeks, uh, the Greek Empire, would would lull you to sleep with all. They would give you, hey, whatever your heart desires. We're just going to give everything, and you'll be lulled to sleep. Whereas Rome ruled with an iron fist. When they took over, it was Rome's way or no way, you get out of the way under Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the whole idea beside, behind just crosses lined on roads for people that were rebelling against Rome, right? They knew how to kill people and they knew how to squash rebellions. The only reason that Israel existed is because they had a little bit of favor with those in power for a season within Rome. So a Roman occupied territory is what is what Israel, Judea, the, the region around is. So imagine Bernie, Texas, um, that we still get to operate a little bit, but we are occupied by a foreign nation. The practices that we get to experience, uh, the the things that we get to do are, are no longer of our culture that we have had passed down from generation to generation, but it's from an outside group saying, this is what you will look like. This is what you will do um, that, that occupies our place. Now, that's not the land of the free and the home of the brave, nope. right? 
Um, and so I think to, to get at this relationship that we're about to look at, we have to understand that, that a Roman occupied territory is not one that the Jews were like, yay, we love Rome, mm-hmm. right? Right. Which means we don't love the people that are representatives or the military officers that are enforcing the rule of Rome. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's what makes this especially um, hugely important. So uh, we, we have uh, Cornelius that receives a, a vision. Uh, Cornelius is said to be a man that uh, follows God, right? Uh, I want you to send some people to go get Peter the Rock, right? Mm -hmm. And Peter at the same time or shortly after uh, goes into a trance or a meditative um, place. Uh, He sees, uh, he has a dream. So a couple different ways that you can label that. And he has this three times, all right? So somebody want to tell us what's What's happening there? What does he see? What's what's spread out? Food. Food. We're just thinking about food yeah. a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Anything that has to do with food is a good. It's a good dream. Yeah, true. Except this one was especially weird because it was all the food that he wasn't supposed to eat because it was deemed unclean. Unclean, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a huge kind of blanket, if you will, or a sheet that's spread out, and there's four corners, and it's the it's the picture of it's it's kind of cover four corners of the earth. So that's the, the the back and forth, and yeah, it's got all the foods. It's got all the banquet foods on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. he's told to to rise and eat, get it all, right? Yeah. And he goes, well, some of it's some of it's not clean. It's not okay. And God says, don't call anything that I've created unclean. Mm-hmm. Now, if we just stop there and if Luke just goes on and starts talking about what's happening next in the church, we would think this is simply about food. But it's not just about food, is it? Nope. What's it about? It's about people. It's about, um, I think we're going to see this, spoiler alert, we might, we're going to see this in the next chapter, but um, the Jews had become so accustomed to like... Um, the salvation of Jesus was primarily meant for the Jews. And there's kind of like this pride that comes with that. You know, there's kind of like this, we're the chosen people, which they were, like they, and they are. Um, but now you're starting to see that more and more people are, more Gentiles are coming into the faith. And and like this Roman centurion, uh, or not the centurion, I don't know if he was a centurion, but this, this, this Roman guy, Cornelius, um, he is um, someone who's following the faith. And, right. and, and he's following the Lord. And so um, what we're seeing here is is God reminding Peter and telling Peter, like, hey, like, like I'm here for all. I'm not just here for right. the specific people. So you can't you can't cut someone up or or, or or you can't define someone by their cleanliness, so to speak, because I've already done the cleansing. I've already paid the price for them, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. good. Um, just to add to that, I think it's another step towards breaking tradition Mm -hmm. because, um, when Jesus walked the earth, he was rebuking the Pharisees and Sadducees for being so rule book bound, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They were following the rules. They had to stay inside the lines. And, um, I just think this is another one of those where God is saying, okay, now this is, this is okay because I have 
redeemed the earth. Yeah. And you're starting to see the church is kind of following that, that thing of like playing by the rules. Cause they're starting to like, in a, in a little bit of a way they're like, even with Saul, like they're, they're kind of like freaking out and, and they've created in their minds this idea of like God's grace only extends so far. Um, yeah. Whereas here now it's just, it's continuing to break down barriers. It's continuing to, to go against what we in our minds think it should stop at, you know, right. God's grace should end here. God's grace shouldn't go this far. Right. Yeah. And instead it's like, no, like there's, um, there's more, there's more and it's, it. yeah. And, and it's for more people. And yeah. so we have to be open and accepting of that because that's the way our father's mind is. Right. You know? Right. And it, it takes us back to Genesis 12. Um, the, the promise to Abraham was I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. Um, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'm going to bless you so that you, you can be a blessing to the nations. This thing was never simply about one family or one people group. God's right. plan from the beginning has been for the nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we get so, I think this is just kind of a story of humanity. When we get so indwelt just on our tribe and we create an, uh, an us versus them mentality, mm-hmm. That is that is anti-gospel, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. That that is not the heart of the the God of the Bible, where He is after the hearts of all mankind, and there is a oneness that He is knitting together through the person and work of Jesus, and we see that here with Peter and Cornelius, yeah. right? Hmm. Um, God is for all people. So so in uh, ten thirty four, there's a um, Peter says this, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone in the same basis. And then a couple of the translations, uh, say this, that God is not the God of hypocrites. Um, or God is not the one who receives masks as, as faces. Mm-hmm. Just really intriguing to me that, that the people that, again, the people that thought they had it together, um, the ones that they, that thought that they saw, rightly had missed it and god is not about he is for the repentant heart he's for the heart that has turned towards him that trusts him with full confidence and commitment to him Mm -hmm. regardless of what anything within them might be saying that is that is faith that's good right so it doesn't matter your your nationality your background your socioeconomic status none of those things come on the table when they're placed before God. God is looking at the heart and he's creating a new man um, from the old, right? And yeah. this is the picture that we have taking place, right? Yeah. Something that um, I was reading about in chapter 10, I don't want to, I don't mean to bring us back, but in verse four, talking about Cornelius, it says Cornelius was frightened and stared intently at uh, the angel that, uh, the angel, the visit, the vision of the angel. Um, he stared intently at him and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and gifts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God, an offering made in his, in remembrance of his past blessings. I think there's something so beautiful about the fact that up until this point, I don't think Cornelius has experienced any angelic visits or maybe not even experienced the spirit, but he's offering these gifts willingly and, and, and consistently and I think it's just, it's, it's such a good, like, it's funny cause it's like, it's like you get this image of, um, Christ-like faith from a Gentile, from, from hmm. a Roman. And, yeah. and and this guy has such a faith in the, in the Lord that he is serving. And so this specifically says, um, 
that God has taken delight in these gifts or that he is like pleased with these gifts and they've been offered to him as like, uh, I, I don't know, I forgot what the term was that it used, but um, that means that Cornelius was doing it with the heart of a servant, right, with the heart of right. obedience. And what were the gifts? What were, what were the gifts? His gift, I think his gifts were like, he set a, he set his life aside. He set, mm-hmm. he set his life apart and his family's life, and made charitable donations. He okay. he did what he could do with what he had. Absolutely, yeah. So so yeah. there's the the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the the core tenets that Jesus said. This is this is what's most important, right? Um, and he's demonstrating that even as one who from the from temple leadership would say is outside mm-hmm. of the flock. Mm-hmm. He's demonstrating even more so than those that were inside, quote unquote, inside the flock. Mm-hmm. Um, he's demonstrating this is what a life of faith looks like. And God calls it an, a fragrant offering, an mm-hmm. eternal fragrant offering yeah. to him. And I, ab- I absolutely agree. Yes, that's, that's huge. It's a huge piece. That happens in in chapter ten, and then chapter eleven hit. We again, Luke's just pinning the letter. He's writing the letter, and he doesn't break it up. And like, okay, now we're done with that part. Let's jump into chapter eleven. He's just <laughs> continuing on. Like this is the next part of the story that happens after. So Holy Spirit falls um, in that place, and then uh, Peter, as he returns back, word returns back to Jerusalem. Peter gets there, and they go. What the heck, bro? Like, yeah. what, what happened? Why? We've heard these rumors. Please tell us this isn't true. Please tell us that you're not hanging out with the Romans, that you're not uh, communicating and, and ushering in like Jesus' conversation with, with the enemy. Please tell us that's not true. And Peter says, yeah, it's, it's true. It's <laughs> true. But let me tell you why. And so he recounts the dream. He recounts the experience. He tells them previously. about. Yeah, <laughs> previously in chapter 10. Yeah. Um, this is what it looks like, right? Um, such a huge deal for the people in Jerusalem to, to have their vision pushed beyond their places of comfort, right? Into something new. Question for you, Danny. Um, I... I'm seeing this, like, this is kind of a pattern that's showing in Acts that the apostles have a habit of repeating things. So Stephen, before his stoning, repeats pretty much, like, the entire, like, yeah. just, like, this, like this, the entire moves of God over their history. And then even now we're seeing uh, Peter repeat what just happened in a chapter earlier. Why do you think it was so important for the apostles to, it, it was important for them to repeat these things, but why do you think it was so important for them to include these things for us to read as rep- like as repetition? As repetition. Yeah. Why, in any type of educational experience that you've experienced, what does repetition do? It just gets it in your head. Yeah. It, it plants the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at any point where the reader might be going, hey, what's the most important thing about this? Well, repetition is going to tell you what the most important thing. And it helps us much later on mm-hmm. go... When, when we talk about, we talked about the gospel a couple weeks ago, when we talk about the gospel, what is it that the early church believed the gospel was? 
And so we can try to create something new fangled way of communicating, but we could also just go, Oh no, here's what the early church believed the gospel to be. Right. It's repeated. Like if you, if you miss this, if you miss that the finished work of Jesus is also tied back to the Hebrew Bible and these promises that got made all throughout, um, through the, the fathers of the faith and through the prophets and through the poets, like mm-hmm. we've, you have missed it and you're blind uh, <laughs> if you don't see that those two things are tied together and connected, right? That's good. It's the repetition. That's kind of my favorite part about novels and books that I read is when the group is divided and action happens on both sides and then they all meet together and then they kind of do this recap with each other. They're like, this is what we experienced. And then the other side is like, okay, this is what we did. And then somehow they formulate this plan of where to go from there. Right. It's one of my favorite things. And that's how I saw this chapter whenever we were talking about it was kind of like a recap right and and verse verse 18 says when they heard this their objections were put to rest and they all glorified god saying look what god has done mm-hmm. like only god would do this with with peter who is first mate if you will for jesus um we wouldn't say that but we would you know, there, there's some directives given to Peter, right? Right. Um, with Peter and then with a Roman military officer, right? Look at what God's done. He's given the gift of repentance that leads to life for people who aren't even Jews, that aren't a part of this kind of original clan or original uh, flock. Yeah. That's something I love yeah. so much about verse 17 is like um, Peter wraps up his entire speech with like, you can just, you can, you can read it and you can get the sense like this guy does it sounds funny, but this guy does not care about himself. He knows it's not about him. He knows that this is about, um, more. And this is about not even the rules or the, the, the regulations of what the church is now starting to kind of formulate in their mind. Like this is what it means to be the church and the way, you know, he doesn't care about all that. He's just like, whatever God does, God does. And if I get to be part of that, fantastic. And if not, then they have something better. Right. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what that's that verse is just really, really resonating with me right now. So if God gave Gentiles the same gift equally as he gave us after we accepted and believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as savior, who was I to interfere or stand in God's way? Yeah. Like, it's so good. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm nobody. Like, I'm just an instrument being used by God and I don't get to make the rules. Yeah. He does. Yeah. And we're not going to stand in the way of it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I love it, it reminds me of the first couple of chapters of Acts whenever um, Peter and... John are standing up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he's going, um, why would I obey a human being rather than God? Why wouldn't I obey God first? And even Gamaliel says, Mm -hmm. if these men are of God, who are you to stop it? You might even be opposing God. And so this, again, watch as we're reading scripture, watch for these themes that, that continue to to pull through it's good mm-hmm. um because i think there those are places that we could easily go oh no this is this is absolute like i can just sink that right into where i am as i see yeah. these themes line up that's good throughout the text well the church continues to grow and move uh, in antioch um we see the that these followers of jesus are first called christians or anointed ones and we also see this church being a place of generosity and goodness. It says that there was a, a, a famine that was prophesied, that they knew that a famine was coming, so they acted accordingly to make sure that they had provision for what was going to happen, and then they sent relief. So the, the text says this, that um, the disciples determined 
um, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So Judea is a region south of where Antioch is. Antioch's uh, further up north, about 15 days journey if they're doing 20 miles a day. I've done the math. And they did so, (laughs) sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Again, so Barnabas and Saul have come back in the picture. They're buddies now. They've spent time together in Antioch for about a a year. Um, What, man, let's talk through just briefly about this idea of sending relief. So it wasn't just that they were sending money, but there's a famine. Again, you and I have maybe a hard time putting, wrapping our mind around famine um but but what is what is relief what does sending relief do for a group of people that are just trying to get by i guess you could say like it restores them you know like sending this relief is just it's something that i I keep getting the the, like the phrase like it's like a fresh breath of air in their lungs Mm mm-hmm it's the church restoring and giving life to those who, who have no hope or mm-hmm. those who are feeling like, like you were saying, they're just burnt out and mm-hmm. they're just done. Yeah. Um, and how lucky are Barnabas and Saul that they get to be part of that, you right. know, they get to be part of that process. That's how I'm interpreting that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think like Ezra said, it's part of the church's job. The, the reason why we are here and what we do um, I think it emphas- it puts an emphasis on the importance of community that mm-hmm. even though they're in Judea, they're not really right next to each other, that they're still willing to send people because they are community. They are, I mean, to quote High School Musical, they're all in this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Unintentional. That was unintentional, but it works. But it happened. So they're doing this together. They are living together they are providing for each other they're very generous in the beginning and i just think that's truly incredible but it really does emphasize the importance of community and Mm -hmm. the strength that comes with numbers and relying on people i think that's very strong i don't think it's a sign of weakness right so it's really interesting that the very thing that happened back in acts 2 where everybody shared as anyone had need right that that happens in a very small circle early on but because and again this i think this is a a theme that we see throughout acts what happens in a very small circle because these core tenets of the faith are held to and community is not something that is an idea but it's not just something that is a nice thought but it's something that's lived out and required Mm -hmm. then spreads to this um, macro level hmm. what started in the micro has now spread into a macro deal where people that don't may not ever meet each other are still operating in this place of love and compassion and generosity yeah and the whole idea of sending relief really is um, just to, to hit the pressure valve to, to allow somebody to move from barely keeping their head above water to maybe just allowing the water to settle down just mm-hmm. a little bit where they're not having to, to try to strive to survive. And maybe they can take some steps forward to, to, to thriving or to, to just being able to, to think through how can my faith move forward? How can life move forward if I'm not just having to worry about where does my next 
um, meal come from or how am I going to take care of the kids? Yeah. Like that was, that's kind of what relief looks like now. Yeah. It gives them to room to, f- it gives them the room to focus on bigger and like, and more important things, right. you know? And if the church is after the floor, if, if we're going to join God in this quest of, um, being after the flourishing of mankind, then this is kind of a bare minimum piece. How can we in the church be a part of sending relief so that people can move from simply surviving to a flourishing that takes Good, place? That. And this yeah. this happens within natural disasters that take place. It happens with people that live um, in, in poverty, that those that don't have share with those, sorry, those that, that do have share with those that don't so that they can move into a place of flourishing because God has designed the church to flourish and grow and support each other. That's awesome. Going off of something that you said, Joe, um, like you talked about like community amongst the church. And I love how uh, just kind of like a little bit of a throwback in chapter nine, talking about um, Saul's, um, the conversion of Saul in verse 17, uh, it says that Ananias left and entered the house that Saul was in and he laid his hands on him. And the first words that he says are brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came to Damascus, he has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy spirit. And I love, love, love how like, this is the first time that they're interacting Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, Ananias is already calling him brother, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's just like that, that there's that community piece. There's that piece of like, like look like up until this point, like you were the most feared man. Like I, I, I feared you or I hated you or whatever, whatever was going through Ananias's mind. And he knows very well that the church needs to be united yeah. in this time. And so he approaches it from like, you're, you're a brother, you know? Yeah. And, and I think when we look at the church from that perspective, when we look at the perspective of the people that are sitting next to us on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, and we think like, these are my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you're, you're more open to, letting go of yourself right. and just loving and being there in the Christ-like way that we're supposed to. Right. Could it be, Ezra, could it be that those people that we think we have the most stark differences with, right? Hmm. Those that we are the most opposite to politically, socioeconomically, backgrounds nationally whatever the case may be that we actually have more in common because of jesus Mm -hmm. than we do uh, of somebody that looks like us talks like us um, lives right next door to us but that doesn't know jesus that's so good Hmm. Um, and how does that change how we operate around those and with those so that the world knows oh this is how the jesus people operate what if we live that way? That's so good. So that's the challenge this week, Horizon, um, that we would be a people that that see the world around us as those that desire the flourishing of mankind and that the world would see Jesus followers that love each other well and that they would turn to Jesus and, and seek um, his restoration, his life-giving work. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. See ya.